0: Good morning. Last Saturday, Sarah and I were watching a film. It was a comedy. But at one point in the film, uh, one guy has been really struggling with big decisions in his life. And in particular, feeling like he's wasted his life, has missed chances, has, hasn't has fulfilled his potential. And his friend, maybe not a good idea, fakes this life and death situation. Basically, he pretends that the plane they're on is about to crash uh, to force him to confront uh, his his deepest regrets and to think about what he's missed in life. And as it happens in the film, it's that he hasn't had a family, he's never been a father. Now, as is often the case in these types of films, it all works out in the end. But it's amazing this idea that confronting your death might force you to think really deeply about your life and what is really most important. I think it's no surprise uh, that for, in many situations, a lot of gravitas is is put on the final thoughts and the final words of people as they lie on their deathbed and they're looking back over their life and and the words of advice that that they come up with in those situations. You hear things like, I wish I hadn't spent so long in the office. I should have been with my family more. Make sure that that's not you. Or I should never have held that grudge against my brother or my sister. All these years, I I ruined the chance of a good relationship there. Don't do that. Uh, Things like this. Bob Marley, apparently his final words to his son Ziggy were money, can't buy life. I wonder what your last reflections will be as you look back over life. Um, I wonder what your final words would be. Maybe that's something you can think about over lunch today, a good topic of conversation. Now, we are privileged this morning to continue to think about the final words of Paul the Apostle, who knows that he is shortly to die. He's already in prison under Roman guard, held by this crazy Emperor Nero, who really has it in for the Christians and Paul knows he doesn't have much time left and he's been reflecting reflecting back over his life before uh, and after his transformation when he met Jesus Christ and he writes this letter this second uh, letter to Timothy which is essentially his last written words we are reading the last w- written words of Paul the apostle and today we are starting in the final chapter so important and last week Andy took us through the end of chapter 3 as Paul challenged Timothy with the vitality and importance of the Word of God. Now it comes as no surprise, to be honest, that this week we continue to think about the Word. This book alone, this uh, letter to Timothy, the second letter, contains over 30 references to the Word of God. In Paul's eyes, it truly is fundamental, it is key to life, it's vital. So let's read uh, this week's passage: We're in Second Timothy chapter four, verses one to five. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge: Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead. To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. So what does Paul really want Timothy to know at the close of his life? Timothy, he says, preach the word, preach the word. We could wrap it up there. I could end. And maybe you wish that I would, but I'm not going to just yet. This is serious stuff. I give you this charge. This doesn't sound like a kind of suggestion. This isn't advice from Paul. This isn't an opt-in, opt-out kind of situation. Paul could be appealing to Timothy as his father in the faith, as somebody who he looks up to spiritually. But really, this seems to be much more of an apostolic command that, Paul, uh, as commanded by Jesus Christ as one of the apostles, is now passing on this instruction to Timothy. It's not not optional, Timothy. This is fundamental to your role as a pastor in this early church. Preach the word. Preach because of who will be listening. In In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. This is a serious command, Timothy. God will be watching. God who sits on the throne and judges all, this makes the responsibility to speak about the word of God really hit home. For all of those, for all of us who take on the responsibility in the church context in particular, those at Regent, those elsewhere, those who preach, teach and explain God's word, God is watching and listening. And quite frankly, for me, that's quite terrifying. If I was speaking about a book that was written by some secular author, but that author was sitting in the audience, I'd be terrified about speaking about his book and he's listening. But this is the word of God. This is the Bible and God, our God is listening. But it also encourages me. It encourages me to take this book seriously, to take the responsibility seriously, to not just spout my own thoughts and feelings on a topic And I hope that that comes across. And if any of what I say today in particular comes out as the gospel according to Rob, then we have a significant problem. Something I need to reflect on and you should ignore anything that sounds like it's just me spouting on. The Bible is the word of God and Paul is passionate about it. He knows that this is what the world around him needs If you want a church to stay strong in shifting tides, you preach God's word to it. If you want a person to understand an error in their life, you preach God's word to them. If you long for a person to turn and trust in Jesus, you preach God's word to them. Our words are irrelevant in the context of God's words. It's the answer to so many of our needs. And Paul believes that, he will not be around for much longer to pass on God's word. So he's passing over the baton of responsibility to Timothy. And he also wants to pass over that determination uh, that God's word takes priority. Because Paul knows that, that the word of God, infallible as it is, is going to become more and more attacked by people around. And Paul needs people who are going to correctly handle the word. That's what we read in Second Timothy uh, chapter 2 a few weeks ago. And last week, um, we read that it's it's for people for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training as necessary. And Timothy is going to be a key person in the next phase of the church. Paul has seen him grow up as a spiritual son and cares so deeply for him. And I don't doubt that Paul knows that teaching in the church will put Timothy in harm's way. It will make him, it'll put a target on his back, both to the Jews and to the Romans but the word of God takes priority. The word needs to be taught and spoken. This is true of Timothy and his pastor role, and it's equally true of you and I today. And I think for me, there are two questions here. One, are you hungry for the word of God? And two, are you willing to speak it out yourself? Now, you're clearly listening just now, which suggests that you are keen to know the word of God better. But I wonder for you and myself, Will we be tomorrow too? Is study, consideration, digestion of God's word part of our daily routine? It should be, it needs to be. This is the word of God. This book is the word of God. And if we believe that completely, then why on earth would we not be desperate to get stuck into it more? Why is it something that we leave to Sundays or until the last 10 minutes of the day or as long as everything else is finished? Now, I speak to myself far more than I speak to anybody who's listening just now. We need to be hungry for the word, not just when we know that we have a meeting coming up or or a devotion to lead or a youth group to take. This needs to be our bread and butter. Matthew chapter four says, uh, the words of Jesus, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This needs to literally be our food. And if we have just managed to fit it into our day and, and or we haven't quite managed to fit it in or we've had to rush it, well, then we need to ask ourselves some hard questions about where our time is going and where we need to make sacrifices in order to fit in the word of God. Take a moment, take a moment to, to think back over the past seven days, to think about how much time you've truly spent reading and considering the Bible and pray and think, was that enough? If it isn't, then what changes do you need to do, do you need to make in your life, and for me as well, to allow us the time to fit this in? It is so vital in our life. Because if we know the word, we will be changed by the word. We should all be aware that we are being brainwashed. We all are, through social media, or the news, or our conversations, music, film, etc. And I don't mean this as a conspiracy theorist, I know it sounds all about extreme, but What we let into our mind will change our mind. We will be brainwashed. So what we wash our brains with becomes incredibly important. If it's a regular washing with the word of God, then our brain, our mind becomes clear and cleansed and purified. But if it's just the stuff of the world that we're constantly filtering through our brain, then our brain will be affected by it. And if we spend time with the word of God, then we will want to speak about the word of God. We will love it more. We'll have more to say about it. That makes sense. And we'll feel more confident to do this as well. The thought of getting into a conversation with a friend, a schoolmate, a colleague about the Bible can be terrifying. But if we're well grounded in the Bible and relying on the spirit to aid us, these conversations are a whole lot easier. When we know the gospel well, we can talk about it easily. When we know our faith, we can give an account of it, and we are called to give an account of it. These words to Timothy are not just to teachers and pastors and youth workers and etc. It's for each of us. Preach the word. You may hear people say things like, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Or just let the gospel shine out through your actions. And I don't dispute the absolute need for our actions and lives to back up the gospel. And when they don't, it can do a lot of harm to the gospel, and that's terrible. But they are not the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, offering us salvation from the punishment of our sins, and the news needs words. We need to speak the word of God out. It's scary at times, it's easy at others, but as Paul charges Timothy... Be prepared in season and out of season. There are times when we feel really fresh and alive in the gospel, almost desperate for a chance to speak about Jesus. Often for me, this is just after church on a Sunday, uh, maybe less so on a Wednesday morning. Because there are also times in our life when we feel really out of season, like we're not equipped or comfortable or prepared. But it's the gospel. It's salvation for those who are lost in sin it's too important for our feelings to be part of the equation we are promised that god will not leave us alone in those moments luke chapter 12 verses 11 to 12 say when they bring you before the synagogues and and the rulers and the authorities do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say for the holy spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say now clearly this isn't just a promise when we find ourselves in the synagogues uh, if we are open and receptive to the spirit of God and his leading in our lives, if we are looking for people, uh, if we're looking for God, sorry, to provide us with opportunities to speak uh, about the gospel or about our faith, we must also believe that God will be in those interactions, that he'll be there with us. We won't always get them spot on. We might think later on, ah, why didn't I say this? Or why did I say that? That wasn't the best thing to do. However, the more prepared we can be in advance, the better. The more willing we are to give these occasions to God, I truly believe the more we will see God do incredible things. But regardless of our feelings, we are to preach the word. The New English Bible translation phrases it like this, press the message whether convenient or inconvenient. I wonder if you found yourself speaking to a friend at school or a colleague who happened to comment about never really knowing peace in life. How many of us would take that chance to speak about the true peace that we find in a relationship with God? Or might we suddenly think, oh, yeah, but it's not very convenient just now. I've got a meeting in five minutes and I don't know how long this would take. I've I've only just met this guy and just started talking to this guy. So, yeah, maybe this is a bit early in in our relationship. Um, I'm already in a bit of a rush. It's not convenient. Whether convenient or inconvenient, press the message. We have been called to do the work of an evangelist. And when we do take those opportunities, we feel great for our boldness. Now, this call that we read in verse 5 isn't, just, isn't telling us that we are all evangelists. That's a spiritual gift that some have and some don't. But we are told that we can all do the work of an evangelist. Know the gospel well. Have some good stories and analogies ready in advance to help people understand and picture the gospel. And be willing to share your own life story. It has often been said that people can argue with your faith and your beliefs, but they can never argue with your life story. And use the word of God in this. You may not be able to explain the gospel in quantum theory or the intricacies of the Big Bang or, or whatever, but you can tell people what Jesus means to you and what he has done for you in your life. And you can share your favorite Bible verses. And explain why they mean so much to you. That is something that we can all do. And be patient. We don't have much patience these days, do we? In a world of super fast broadband and next day deliveries, we really don't want to be patient. And understandably, when we preach the gospel to somebody or speak to somebody through the word of of God, we want to see salvation or we want to see change instantly. That's completely understandable. And, And maybe you will. And if that's the case, praise the Lord. But be patient. We're told in our passage, with great patience. That's a bit inconvenient really, isn't it? Do I really have to be like greatly patient? can I just be a little bit patient? Do I really have to stick at it? Do I really have to keep on with that neighbour who has shown little interest for a decade? For the elders, do I really need to keep on teaching to that lazy member who no matter what I say and what verse I use just doesn't seem interested in doing anything in the church? Do I really need to keep teaching this group of youths, even though half of them seem completely zoned out all the time? Yeah. Yeah, we do. With great patience and careful instruction, we're told. Keep at it. Keep going. Persevere. When I'm speaking with some of our A-level students at a school, I often find myself talking to them about the need for grit. Sometimes the work is easy and you feel kind of in the zone and you can get going and you get a good rhythm going and you make really good progress. But at other times, it's a real slog. And that's when we need grit. We need good habits that we can stick to, particularly when it comes to praying and reading the Bible. We need encouraging people around about us that will hold us to account and not judge us, but but encourage us and, uh, and kind of keep us going on the path. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the end point, which is a home in heaven, and to see our Saviour. We need patience. We need this as we preach. And as we teach the word to those around about us, whether that's in our youth groups, at school, at work, in our church. Now, when we do this, we can expect pushback. The gospel in particular is offensive to people who are without Jesus. You tell someone that they're a sinner and don't expect them to go down without a fight. We are told in verse two to use the word of God to correct and rebuke. You try rebuking somebody based on their life choices or their beliefs and you can be ready for confrontation. I certainly don't say this to scare anybody or to put anybody off speaking about their faith. But we need to go into things with our eyes open. We need to go know what we're getting into. In today's world with this multi-truth attitude where whatever anybody believes is fine. There's potential significant hardship for taking a stand for divine standards. Paul does tell Timothy in verse 5 of our, our passage to endure hardship. It was going to come for Timothy from the Romans, from false teachers, from the Jews. There was a battle ahead and it's going to be no different for you and for me. We may lose a friend or two. We might annoy a family member. We may even get uninvited to a a gathering, if any of us can remember what that's like. But there's a hardship in the gospel struggle. But there's infinitely more glory. For Timothy, he was going to grow to be a key pastor in the early church. Somebody who would teach the word of God genuinely, truly. and become a stalwart in the church. For us, we may just lead to the next Billy Graham to Jesus. Or start a movement to Jesus. Or turn somebody away from a root of sin towards one of holiness. There is glory after the hardship. So don't get discouraged. If you don't see the effect that you want to see immediately... Don't become discouraged. I often remind myself and try to remind others that there was once a rich young ruler who came to Jesus for salvation, came to Jesus to find out how to enter heaven. We read about him in Matthew 19, and he left empty handed from Jesus. If this happens to Jesus, then it's certainly going to happen to us. There's disappointment in those situations and in those moments. But don't be discouraged. Don't give up. We must also use the word of God to encourage both those in our church family and those in the world. We can take, uh, we can encourage each other and, and we must do this. Encourage to grow, to, to stand strong, to be active, to have faith in our God, to take our faith seriously. And in verse two, we must encourage others in the world to consider eternal things, to find peace in God, to find Uh, reconciliation and joy in a relationship with with the heavenly father there is so much encouragement to be found in the bible so let's get stuck into it because we don't have that much time really for two reasons one Jesus may return to remove his church and also more and more people will only want to hear what they want to hear Paul was looking for the return of his lord In verse one, it says, in view of his appearing. And and so should we. This must be a motivating force for us. The knowledge that one day, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, the church will be removed from this world and and with it, the gospel for a time. And people will perish eternally. The coming of Jesus is not something we hear about that often these days. But Paul reminds Timothy, and, and here we are reminded, that he could be appearing today. It could be right on us. Right now, we have the only message of true hope and we have the key to eternal life. And we have the words of righteousness and holiness uh, and the words and the instructions that lead to a life of peace with God. And whatever we can do this week to speak to somebody about Jesus or to further God's kingdom is worth doing. And as Paul writes to Timothy, he speaks into An atmosphere of moral and doctrinal confusion that was present around 2,000 years ago. A time which was fertile ground for false teachers to come in and make claims about Jesus, about the gospel, about the church, to lead people astray, to present false gospels. It was only two chapters ago that Paul was warning of Himenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. Tell people what they want to hear and they'll listen and love you for it. Unfortunately, this is more often not not what they need to hear. And what we were promised 2000 years ago is that people will start to uh, to desire only teaching that suits their desires. They'll get fed up with sound doctrine. And it's happened so many times down through the generations, various distortions of the gospel. But how true that we see it today. It's so sad that the true gospel of Jesus Christ isn't enough for so many people. People want to add to it or take away from it and change it or make it more palatable. God's grace is a free gift of salvation accepted through faith and repentance. It should be easy for people, but it's foolishness to those who don't believe. And instead, people will crave a different gospel. Maybe it shouldn't be that surprising at all. Satan has always aimed to distort the word of God. It's been his mechanism right from the start. And today, this is exactly what he is trying to do. So look out for teaching and teachers who will say what itching ears want to hear. If it's easy to hear, that's often a clue that something isn't quite right. Maybe we should hear and play the song, Tell me lies, tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies but a lie is a lie however and when it comes to eternal life and peace versus judgment there is no worse lie so listen out for false teaching listen out for anything like this here's a small list give money to get blessing or do good works to reach god reaching god is based on the cross and our savior jesus christ god loves everyone so would it, he wouldn't really let anybody go to hell, would he? That's false teaching. God loves you just the way you are. Now, yes, that is true, but he loves you too much to change to leave you like that and he wants to change us. Or, or just as bad, God only loves you when you're good. God loves you unconditionally. That's true. Or maybe God finds joy in our, our, our social justice mindset. He just wants this... He just wants to see us acting out love firstly. Now, again, aspects of that are true. He does want us to see us acting out um, good works and looking after the vulnerable. But fundamentally and firstly, God wants us to repent from our sin. The world will tell us that truth is subjective. And we can all have our own thoughts and ideas about what's true and good. And my interpretation of the Bible is just as good as anybody else's interpretation of the Bible. Now, now i admit that there are different and different parts of the bible which are a little bit subjective and open to interpretation etc but god's truth is true and only that so always aim to interpret the bible in line with what we know of god's will and character we do not have artistic license over god's word and there's so many other things that today are under fire under attack that the world is trying to present as malleable the family structure, gender, sexuality, morality. And so it goes on. They are all under fire from a changing world, which has got tired of sound doctrine and what's teaching that just lines up with its own desires. And we do no favours, no favours when you pander to this or shield people from what the Bible says in case it offends their sensitivities. We do not help if we hold somebody's hand And rub their back in comfort as we walk them into a sinful life or hell itself. They will eternally not thank us for that. Now please realise that false teaching will often have some aspects of truth. Just enough to sound reasonable or plausible or, or maybe even just more palatable than the hard truth of scripture. False teaching will appeal to what is easy to hear or act out. It will reduce the need to sacrifice. It will avoid taking a stand For God's moral law. It will dilute the justice or sovereignty of God, it will give you the world's wisdom and present it as God's. It will slowly break down your understanding of who God is, of what Jesus has done for you and what you are called to do for him. And we cannot stand for it. These are myths, fables, fantasies. They are untrue. And if we base our belief on on, and also our actions on myths, then we are fools. So they must be challenged. They must be avoided. We need to be aware of these myths. And the best way to identify the myth is to know the truth well. And when you know the word of God, when you know this book, then when somebody presents something to you which is a bit fishy, which is fundamentally false teaching, then you'll smell it a mile off. And the spirit of God will be able to reveal its folly to you. But it does mean that we need to embrace the word of God, in all of its truth. All of it, for all of our life. Because I wonder, are we selected with the word too? For me, I challenge myself, do we find ourselves reading the parts we like and maybe avoiding the parts we don't like quite so much? Do we choose not to read the parts on giving money or giving our time? Do we choose not to read the parts that call us to flee a certain temptation? When We do hear teaching about speaking the gospel to those around about us. Do we start to turn off a little bit because, well, that's a bit uncomfortable. I don't like doing that. We can't judge others or sit on some pedestal looking down on others and their false teaching while choosing to ignore passages of scripture and aspects of God's truth. If they don't sit comfortably with us, well, that's our problem. But God's truth is God's truth. So Timothy, Paul says as he comes towards the end of this passage. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge the duties of your ministry. Be calm. Be brave. Keep on going. Keep on telling people about Jesus. Keep on preaching the word. Do what is required of you. Discharge your duties. This is action. It's one thing to read and know the word of God, and that's great. It's one thing To expect the hardships and persecutions of being a Christian, that's living with your eyes open. But you need to act too. Keep on going. When it gets hard tomorrow at school, keep on going. When you're discouraged by the lack of responses as you teach your youth group, keep on going. When people at work, maybe via Zoom or Teams, are obviously trying to get a rise out of you, keep your head and keep on going. When you feel the burden of your faith, as we all do at times, continue to discharge your duties. When people are trying to wind you up, when the world seems to be against you, keep on going. Because Jesus Christ did it first. When the road to Calvary was hard, he kept on walking. When his own disciples let him down, he kept on loving them. When his duties involved the punishment for your sin and mine. Separation from his father, death itself, he discharged his duties to the end. And so we shall too. So as I finish, be encouraged, preach the word, keep your head, endure hardship, work as an evangelist and discharge the duties of your ministry for God's glory and for his kingdom. Amen.